0: Who's been the most outstanding player in fantasy baseball in the first half? We'll ask a panel of BaseballHQ.com experts, that and a whole lot more, next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick
2: Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, July the 10th. It's show number 41 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. And it's a special edition show for you. Our mid-year awards and stories edition. A roundtable discussion with Baseball HQ analysts Alex Becky, Ryan Bloomfield, and Greg Fishwick. Also our Talk with Todd commentator, Todd Zola. And I'll be taking part. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host. Our panel will discuss the top story of the fantasy season so far, the top fantasy rookie, the fantasy bust of the year, the fantasy Cy Young for the first half, the best fantasy value, and we'll wrap it up with the first half's most outstanding player. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We have some trophies to hand out. It's time to talk some baseball. And we'll get the show started by figuring out this year's top story in fantasy baseball. And we'll introduce our panelists as we go. First up, it's BaseballHQ.com matchups analyst and a regular HQ radio commentator, Greg Fishwick. Greg, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, guys. I had so much fun last time. I've been waiting a whole year for this.
0: Well, it's great to have you, Greg. Uh, We're going to start off with the story of the year. What do you think is the most uh, impactful story for fantasy baseball so far in 2015?
1: Bobby Thompson knew what pitch was coming from Ralph Branca in the 1951 National League playoff because the Giants were stealing the Dodgers' signs. And we got the shot heard around the world. Now hacking into other teams' electronic files is the 2015 version of Major League Espionage. Not nearly as big of a story as PEDs, but I don't think we've heard the last of it. When the results of the FBI investigation come out, there will be a response from the Commissioner's office. With the integrity of the business information side of the game at stake, could penalties such as the loss of draft choices be imposed? Stay tuned on this one.
0: It is an interesting story, and I know the Major League Baseball seems to be trying to spin it already as rogue elements in the Cardinals organization, but I guess we're going to see if the rogue elements start pointing the fingers at guys a little higher up in the organization. Now it's over to BaseballHQ.com analyst and
3: a Baseball HQ radio commentator, Alex Becky. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on the show, PD. It's fun to do this near the All-Star break because I feel like I'm surrounded by All-Stars with Greg, Todd, Ryan, and of course yourself. Plus, everybody at baseballhq.com.
0: Well, you're too kind, uh, but it's a very nice sentiment all the same. Alex, uh, what do you think is the big story of the fantasy baseball season so far?
3: This year, we've seen a large influx of young talent air in the major leagues, Jack Peterson, Chris Bryant, Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano, and Joey Gallo to name a few. I'm sure we'll discuss some of those players later, but the trend of promoting rookies has not only changed the makeup of this year's All-Star Game rosters, but this new generation of talent has made teams like the Astros, Twins, and Cubs relevant again. Could this trend force other teams to follow suit to remain competitive? I don't know, we'll see. However, the fantasy implications could be huge.
0: I think the fantasy implications are huge already this year, but only in hindsight. I wish I'd known at my drafts going into them that all of these players for sure would be coming up because it might really have affected how I looked at my draft and which guys I took and how much I spent, knowing that if I was smart about it, I could use Fab to pick up a Miguel Sano or I could use Fab to pick up Carlos Correa or one of these guys who didn't get drafted. I should say in my Tout Wars draft, uh, a couple of guys, Chris Bryant and Jock Peterson, did get drafted in the regular draft in the expectation that they would be picked up. Also, some guys were added on reserve because the league rules allow that to happen as well. So there are going to be some fantasy implications applications this year. um, I'm not sure that it's going to be the same in subsequent years. I talked with uh, Rob Gordon of Baseball HQ a couple of weeks ago here on the show, and I asked whether this is going to be the start of a regular annual occurrence with all of these blue chip prospects being called up in a year, especially since teams are staying in the playoff picture longer and they have more incentive to cash in their prospect chips to try to make the playoffs and catch all that extra money. But Rob said he thought the bumper crop this year is unusual. It's probably not going to be a commonplace occurrence, which is too bad because, like I say, it has the potential to force us all to rethink player valuation as we go into drafts. But let's keep something in mind when we're talking about how big this, this crop is. In 2001, the rookie class of hitters included Ichiro Suzuki, and I know that's kind of cheating calling him a rookie, but we also had Jimmy Rollins, Alfonso Soriano, and Albert Pujols. In 2008, Carlos Gonzalez, Jacob Ellsbury, uh, Joey Votto, Evan Longoria. Four really top offensive talents seems to be a natural limit and this year's bunch is already at least six by my rough count, and I'm not including Miguel Sano. We could end up at 10 or 12, maybe even more, impact players in one year coming up as prospects. I think that's super interesting, but I doubt it's repeatable. Now let's move over to our regular Friday talk with Todd correspondent, Todd Zola. Todd, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks,
4: Patrick, and hey, thanks for the invitation as well. This is one of my favorite segments of the uh, entire year, and it's great to be joined by such an esteemed group of colleagues and
0: uh, looking forward to some great banter. And, hey, boys, let's have some fun. Indeed, we should be having some fun. And uh, so far in the story of the year, Todd, you've heard uh, that we have one vote for uh, industrial espionage, basically, and a couple for the prospects. What's your view? What's the top story in fantasy baseball so far this year? You know, I thought
4: that DFS, the, uh, the... the growth of DFS would have gotten some, uh, some mentions at this point. And I think the fact that it hasn't shows that the seasonal play is here to stay. The DFS people like to say, hey, we're here to stay. I think the seasonal folk can now say, hey, we're here to stay too. I, I don't, I don't sense it's going anywhere. Anyway, I'm gonna follow along with the crowd, and I thought the story of the year, at least to this point, is the year of the rookie. Uh, it's been mentioned, uh, Alex and, and UPD mentioned it as, as well. And I'm going to agree with every, pretty much everything you've said. Uh, Alex, I do think that it's going to have some finished implications. And although Patrick seemed to, to poo poo him a little bit because I agree with Rob and that this is a very, very, uh, exceptional year. Uh, exceptional being the, the exception, although along with, uh, exceptional performance, exceptional year. We're not going to get this, this group of rookies every single year. However, I think the take home point is that, if there ever is another top prospect on a team that's competing for a wild card or the pl- a playoff berth i think going into our drafts we need to expect at this point that there's a good chance that this player will be promoted early if not make the team coming out of the uh, coming out of the spring especially if the cubs and or houston make some noise in the playoffs to justify They're bringing up Chris Bryant and Carlos Correa early, especially if either of those teams make some noise. I think the other teams are going to follow suit. So, yeah, I agree that it's it's an exceptional crop and that we're not going to get this many again, but I do think we need to pay attention to those minor leaguers on playoff teams because I think at this point we're likely to see them be promoted a lot sooner than in the past.
0: I think that's very likely as well. Uh, And finally, uh, BaseballHQ.com analyst and our playing time commentator,
2: Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, welcome to the show. What's your big story? Yeah, Patrick, honestly, I don't have too much to add here. I'm going to go with yourself, with Alex and with Todd, and all those elite prospects that have been called up is my story of the first half. When we look back on 2015, this will be the year when all those guys made their debuts. Uh, with, with varying levels of success, you, know, you guys have mentioned Brian, Correa, Peterson, etc., their success. Um, in Baseball HQ, we we put out a top 100 prospects before every season, and, and eight of those top 10 guys on that top 100 have already seen time in the major leagues. I, I, I would venture to say that's the first time that's happened in, in quite some time uh my my takeaways from a from a fantasy standpoint you know i'm still you know from a short term standpoint in keeper League, still skeptical on you know, the short term impact of some of these elite prospects you know i'm not saying go out and trade brian correa peterson etc but i think you can talk up those types of early uh, performances that early success and maybe get a little bit more value from, from your remaining top prospects if you're trying to go for a title in the second half of 2015. So my, you know, my, my stance on that hasn't really changed. I think, and, you know, Petey, you mentioned this earlier. I think this is kind of when, you know, an outlying class in terms of just the level of elite, um, talent that we're seeing. You know, however, as a fan, it is it is pretty cool to see all this going on. Seeing all the young talent being injected into the game seems like every week we we have a new top prospect coming in. I think uh, Mr. Seeger at an, out in L.A. may be the next one. Uh, but really exciting to watch. You know these guys and see how they, they they struggle, see how they adapt to major league pitching, and ultimately see how their careers progress. So, um, but yeah, for the first half, you know, all those guys coming up is is my story. Of the first half. So I guess it's
0: all but unanimous, certainly a strong consensus that the story of the first half is the rise of this terrific class of prospects, and uh, how coincidental we'll be coming up right away to talk about the Rookie of the Year. But guys, before we get there, it seems like all the names I heard in this prospect discussion was focused on hitters. And I don't remember hearing about any obvious pitching prospects, and at a glance I have to say I don't think I see any pitching prospects with the same level of potential fantasy importance. I see guys like Nate Carnes, Noah Syndergaard, Carlos Rodon, some others, and they're all good young pitchers and they're promising. But do you think there's a Chris Bryant or a Jock Peterson among this year's rookie class of pitchers? Todd Zola, start with you.
4: You know, while I agree that there's some starters like like Matt and and Rodon and Syndergaard that could emerge as studs down the line, there's a couple of other pitchers that have rookie status that aren't getting the, rec- not only say recognition, but I think they deserve to be in this conversation. And that's Roberto Asuna of the Toronto Blue Jays, who's now taken the closer role from Brett Cecil, and with Soriano signing with the Cubs, there's a pretty good chance that he's going to keep it. And uh, Carson Smith you know, of, of Seattle Mariners, who has uh, put Fernando Rodney into a setup role and is getting the job done in the ninth inning for the Mariners. These are two rookies that are... Getting the job done at closer, and I know, you know, keeper list, that sort of thing, you know, don't keep a closer. You don't keep a closer at, at market value. I think you do keep a closer, like an Asuno or a Smith, at the price that they probably cost. So I think these are a couple of, uh, they deserve deserve mention as rookies. Uh, the last guy, you know, Cody Allen of, of Cleveland was in, the, in this class, and I, I have him on a couple keeper leagues at a really cheap price and not regretting at all. He had a speed bump this year, but he looks pretty good now. So I'm going to add, I'm gonna throw those two names into the uh, rookie pitcher mix, Asuna and Smith.
0: Actually, that's a good point. Never thought about the closers, although I haven't ever looked at it, but I bet if we did, we'd find a, an awful lot of rookie closers who get the job in year one, often don't have it in year two or maybe year three. Uh, anybody else want to talk about this? Yeah, Greg.
1: Well, in addition to those you mentioned, Patrick, especially Syndergaard, who has a base performance value of 137 in 10 starts, I think erstwhile Mets fan and Baseball HQ founder Ron Chandler, along with other Mets followers, like the way things are shaping up as Stephen Matz arrives. Here's a paraphrase from what our annual minor league baseball analyst had to say about Matz. Comes as a highly polished college product who is not far away with impeccable command of three pitches and a heavy ground ball lean. And Jeremy Deloney noted in our call-ups column, He was leading the hitter-friendly AAA Pacific Coast League in ERA and strikeouts before his recall and has been fully healthy since Tommy John surgery. Matt's profiles as a number two or number three type starter. And Phil Hertz wrote in Playing Time Today at the end of June that there's even hope in Philadelphia. Quote, eventually the Phils may turn to Aaron Nola, their first round pick in 2014 and their number three prospect according to BaseballHQ.com. Nola has compiled a 177 ERA and struck out 32 batters in 33 innings over seven starts for AA Reading. And looking at the just published update of our top 50 prospects, I see Nola is only number 23. And I forgot Dylan Bundy, who is number 15. In fact, 12 of the top 20 and 5 of the top 10 are starting pitchers. So there are some in the pipeline.
0: Yeah, there's always a bunch in the pipeline. I was more thinking about how many of them are in the major leagues, and I just noticed that there's so few pitchers relative to how many hitters there are. I wondered if maybe there's some pattern there. Probably not, though. Uh,
3: Alex? Don't forget about Boston's Eduardo Rodriguez. However, the rookie pitcher that stands out most to me and will likely be in the discussion for Rookie of the Year, if he qualifies, is also Steven Matz of the New York Mets. Excellent choice, Greg? He's currently 2-0 with a 1.32 ERA and .88 whip. He's only allowed two earned runs in his first two games, and, let's face it, he looked like Superman in his debut on June 28th, driving in four runs on three hits and only allowing two runs while still throwing his fastball in the upper 90s in the eighth inning.
0: He has been impressive. Uh, Noah Syndergaard has been impressive. And uh, I still don't think either of them is going to make much of a dent in the rookie of the year voting, considering Chris Bryant and uh, Correa and some of those guys. And, And speaking of that, guys, let's move to the fantasy rookie of the first half and I'll start off. I really suspect that Chris Bryant's going to get a lot of votes in this category, and I really do understand why. But in leagues that allowed non-roster guys to be bid on at auction, Bryant got plenty of bids. Just for one example, he went for $16 in Tout Mixed, and even more than that in the Tout National League auction. Jock Peterson likewise, but at lower cost. I want my rookie of the year to be more unheralded, for want of a better term, and therefore a better get in FAB. I'm taking Billy Burns of the A's, who will be close to 20 stolen bases by the All-Star break and could end up leading the American League. And unlike Billy Hamilton, Billy Burns hits for average. He's well over 300 as we hit the break, which is huge in modern baseball. Todd Zola, what do you think? You know,
4: actually, Patrick, I look at it just a little bit differently. I understand the unheralded aspect, the whole whole value aspect we're... Guys like Billy Burns were were taken, if if at all, during their you know you draft and auction back in back in March. But I look at it just a little differently in that uh, owners of Chris Bryant, who's my choice, took a chance. Now, I mean, some of them did it because they wanted a you know two thumbs up look at me. I, I know who Chris Bryant is. But I you know people took a chance on Chris Bryant, and I think he deserves some plaudits for actually coming through. For rewarding the owners who took a chance on him, expending some pretty decent draft-day assets—be it uh, auction budget in the, in the teens, probably, or a uh, draft pick that I, people in the NFBC were taking him fifth, sixth round, which is you know pretty high, very high draft pick for 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 a rookie. So I'm giving Chris Bryant some bonus points for coming through, for rewarding his owners uh, that that had the uh, the courage. To take him, or just wanted to make a name for themselves, and did it anyway. And uh, you know, on the field, he's earned it as well. Um, keeping in mind, he kept up a little bit. He, he he got promoted a little bit late. This is a guy on a pace for 100 runs and 100 RBI. And this is something we often often overlook when we talk about fantasy value or potential. Uh, with our home runs, and we look at home runs and steals and batting average. This is a guy who's gonna. He isn't going to get 100-100 because he missed a couple weeks, but dang it, he's going to come close, and he's going to, he's going to be pro- uh, probably projected for it next year.
0: Well, you make an excellent point, and uh, Alex Becky had to step away, but I know he wanted to say that a case can and should be made for Chris Bryant as well as Jock Peterson because they're both doing very well. But he thinks the top rookie is often overlooked because of a two ten batting average, and that's Steven Souza Jr. of Tampa. Sousa, he notes, has already stolen as many bases as Peterson and Bryant put together, and he does have 15 home runs, which is as many as Miguel Cabrera and Ryan Braun and Joey Votto and Chris Carter, which is not bad for a rookie. Sure, Jock Peterson has 20 and just five more at-bats, but Jock Peterson's only hitting 230, which is not that much better than 210, right? I guess it's an argument you could make. Uh, we'll move over to Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, uh, you want to make an argument for Steven Souza or Jock Peterson or Chris Bryant? Who's your vote?
2: Yeah, PD, I, I do like your pick of Billy Burns there as well, especially where he came from, basically nowhere, uh, to to put up that kind of stolen base production and batting average has been good. But I, I can't go against Chris Bryant. I've got to agree with Todd here and put Bryant in the majority so far. Uh, Brian's been a top-five producer at third base in just his 23-year-old season. Uh, the power that we all heard about from the minor leagues translated over well so far into the majors, showing pretty good plate patience and, and even some sneaky speed, uh, as Todd touched on as well. So. I'd like to see a little bit better contact rate, that, that does worry me a little bit with Bryant. It's below 70%, but come on, he's just 23, he's got plenty of time, and he also makes so much hard contact uh, from our hard hit ball data that, that Bryant could be one of those guys who can just overcome a, a, an average or below average contact rate. So all signs point to stardom for, for Chris Bryant. Um, one guy I'd like to just, you know, mention, an unheralded honorable mention would be Matt Duffy out in San Francisco. Uh, took that job from Casey McGee at third base and has really run with it with a plus batting average and, and and some power too. And some untapped speed if we if we look at that. So um, Duffy's been great in San Fran. He'd probably be a uh, top five rookie, but, but Bryant is the rookie of the year for me from a fantasy standpoint.
0: A second vote for Chris Bryant. We turn now to Greg Fishwick. Uh, Greg, what do you think of Rookie of the Year so far for 2015?
1: I'm jumping on the Bryant bandwagon too. And one of the reasons I have for choosing Bryant over Peterson is another follow-up from our top story category, a potential top story for 2016 or 17. You know, the Major League Baseball collective bargaining agreement expires on December 1st of 2016. So we have one more year to see how teams handle rookies in regard to their service time eligibility for arbitration and the Super 2 date. Depending on how strongly the Players Association reacts, that could become an issue. But back to the field of play. Peterson does top Bryant with 20 home runs to 12, and with a BPV of 84 to Bryant's 54. But Bryant beats Peterson in batting average, 275-230. to 230. Stolen bases, eight to two, runs above replacement, twenty to fifteen, and roto earnings twenty five dollars to seventeen dollars. That's plenty for me to give the nod to Chris Bryant,
0: and so Chris Bryant gets three votes. He's our consensus rookie of the first half. Also votes for Steven Souza and Billy Burns. Now let's move on to the bust category. The bust of the first half is the player who is the biggest disappointment to his fantasy owners. And I get to go first on this one. And guys, I hated myself about two nanoseconds after I bid $29 on Washington shortstop Ian Desmond at Tout Wars. And believe me, I'm not feeling any better about it now. He's barely above zero as a positive value player so far this year, and I really find it hard to see any signs of life for the second half. Now, if there's any benefit to Ian Desmond's dreadful performance so far, all I can say is this. Maybe it's going to shut up people who insist that players are always more productive in their contract years. Todd Zola, who's your bust of the first half?
4: Listen, Patrick, I feel your pain. I, too... Am I Ian Desmond owner? I don't want to say I was talked into it because I don't make any decisions if I don't agree with, uh, but I, uh, have Ian Desmond on a high money NFBC team that I co-managed with, with a friend. And, uh, yeah, we decided sort of last minute to use, to put Denman, to go after Desmond as one of our foundational players, as we call him. And like I said, I wasn't talked into it. He wasn't, on my list of of target players, I just don't like players that strike out that much. But you you can't deny three straight 2020 seasons, averaging 23 homers and 22 steals. You know, a guy like Adam Jones has shown the ability to be success, successful year out of year. While the Saberheads don't like his contact and don't like his walk rate, Desmond was showing the same ability, and I bought into it. And I uh, I wish I hasn't, wish I hadn't. His contact rate it's not getting a whole lot worse than it was last year I mean, last year it took a big dive down from previous seasons but it's it's basically on a power last season at worst it should have been gotten a little bit better met itself halfway between this last year and the previous seasons but it's it hasn't which to me as we've talked about when we do our our segments uh during the week Uh i'm a big contact rate guy and the fact that it's hasn't gotten any better scares me uh going forward so uh I think by the end of the year, we're still going to be calling Ian Desmond the bust.
0: I think so, too, and for much the same reasons, uh, the contact rate. You know, in 2009, Ian Desmond had an 83% contact rate, admittedly, in a, in a shorter season. But the year after that is a full-time player, 79. And then after that, listen to this. 76 percent, 78 percent, 76 percent. Then last year, all the way down to 69 percent, which is where he is now. And over the last 31 days, we're talking about a contact rate of 61 percent. And that poor contact rate has dragged down his hard contact index. He's only at 82, which is 18 points below league average. And for the last 31 days, he's at 53. Now, think of that. His hard contact index is half of what a normal player an average player in the league does boy that's not a recipe for future success and I, I just don't see anything really good coming from ian desmond just a complete bust uh ryan bloomfield are you going to cast another vote for ian desmond as bust of the first half
2: yeah patrick i definitely think ian desmond's uh i guess a good choice for the for the bust of the year in the first half i'm going to switch gears a little bit i'm going to keep it in the middle infield uh, but my pick's robinson cano um, has just been pretty abysmal for owners in 2015 you know he had a quote unquote down here in in 2014 last season but still really hit hit 314 and put up almost thirty dollars in value uh, this year has actually been a, a true disaster for him Kano uh, was an early second rounder in most leagues entering 2015 uh, but his numbers have completely collapsed. That batting average is down in the 250s, has just over a handful of home runs and uh, you know depending on your format uh, is, is teetering on double digit value uh, for the first half. So not a good year on the surface. The, the The scary part for me is the underlying skills as well. There are some warning signs. His contact rate is at a career low. It's down in the low 80s. That number has always been um, up near you know 88, 90 percent. So that's down. His walks are down. He's barely hitting any fly balls, 25% fly ball rate, and our power metrics are showing some decline as well. Um, So he's kind of a tough case. You know, he has that, you know, impeccable track record, basically, you know, seven or eight seasons of just elite production at second base. So we can't completely throw that out the window at all. Um, and he has shown some signs over the past month of getting better as well. So I'm not completely, you know, ditching on Cano here. I, I do think we'll see a better second half. Uh, but there are just so many warning signs in his skill set. I think it's going to be tough for him to get back to uh, to what he was. So um, some improvement in the second half, but has been, you know, my, my bust of the year in the first half so far. Two votes for Ian
0: Desmond, one vote for Robinson Cano, keeping it in the middle infield. As Ryan says, uh, let's move over to Greg Fishwick. Greg, are you going to go with one of those or or somebody else?
1: Well, I'm back on the Ian Desmond bandwagon, if you can call it a bandwagon. For me, it's more like a runaway train. I share both Patrick's experience and Todd's statistics. Desmond was my first-round pick in an NL-only draft. After three consecutive years of 2020 production, he went into the 2015 season vying for top shortstop status in drafts and auctions. With my second-round pick in that draft, Troy Tulowitzki, Desmond was supposed to be my fail-safe plan in case Tulo went down, but it's been the other way around. Desmond has a BPV of 2 and a roto value of 3. We sometimes say you can't win your league in the first few rounds, but you can lose it. A lot of us who drafted Desmond earlier paid big bucks for him are now looking up from below in our league
0: standings. I knew a guy whose job was to drive around to construction sites picking up the porta-potties, and whenever he got to the site, all the construction workers would yell out, the honey wagon is here. So, Greg, if you're picking Ian Desmond, I guess maybe you're jumping aboard the honey wagon. Alex, Becky, whose honey wagon are you jumping aboard?
3: Owners who paid big bucks for Anthony Rendon can't be happy. So far, he's only played in 18 games this season due to injury. That means his current value of a dollar is a far cry from the $29 preseason value that assumed he'd be much healthier. Maybe he'll earn some of that back in the second half, and maybe he presents a decent buy-low opportunity for a few risk-averse owners, but until he has meaningful at-bats, he'll definitely remain in the discussion as one of the biggest busts of 2015.
0: So we have three votes for Ian Desmond, our consensus as the fantasy bust of the first half with votes for Robinson Cano and Anthony Rendon, so I guess the middle infield has been the honey wagon of fantasy baseball so far this year. And speaking of the first half, that's our first half of this Round Table Baseball HQ Radio Special Edition. When we come back, we'll have the Fantasy Cy Young, the Value Player of the Year, and our Most Outstanding Player. Stay tuned, this is Baseball HQ Radio. Smith corks one into right down. Baseball HQ Radio wants to hear from you, so we've set up a new email address dedicated to Baseball HQ Radio podcast listeners. Send your email to Radio, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. Give us your ideas about new features on the podcast, or how we can improve the existing features. Ask a question for one of our expert guests, our regular beat reporters, or our commentators. And if you can record your question as an MP3 or Ogg Vorbis audio file and send it to us as an attachment, we'll put it in the show. And let us know what guests you'd like to hear on Baseball HQ Radio. In short, anything you'd like us to know that would help you enjoy Baseball HQ Radio more, you can let us know by emailing us at bhqradio, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. That's bhqradio at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio, our mid-season roundtable edition. I'm Patrick Davitt, joined by Alex Becky, Ryan Bloomfield, Greg Fishwick, and Todd Zola from BaseballHQ.com. And as we move to the second half of our show, we'll get our big three awards, starting with the Fantasy Cy Young for the first half. And we'll kick things off with BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Ryan, who's your pick?
2: Yeah, Patrick, I'll kick things off with someone who I think is going to get a lot of love uh, in this segment for Cy Young. Uh, Someone who, you know, costs pretty much nothing on draft day entering 2015 and has put up over $30 in value in the first half. And that's Dallas Keuchel of the Houston Astros. Just a tremendous performance on the heels of what we thought was a breakout in 2014. Um, rather than, you know, quote-unquote, regressing, this year he's taken his game to another level. Uh, I wrote up Keichel on a Fact Flu column uh, a few weeks ago on the site, really noticed that, you know, the key to his success has been his uh, killer sinker. Generates a ground ball 76% of the time, which is amazing. Um, Keuchel's using that pitch more and more in recent seasons. Uh, 2013, he used that pitch 37% of the time, upped it to 45% of the time last year, and this year he's throwing it over half the time. That's been amazing for him, uh, really been a driver for his success, and I think he can keep this up the rest of the way. Since I do think Keichel is going to be uh, mentioned again, my, my honorable mention would be Chris Archer. He'd be my choice if it wasn't for Keichel. Um, Archer's you know just put up some amazing skills backed by you know, some of our deeper metrics here at, at Baseball HQ. With swinging strike rate, first pitch strike rate, ground balls all point to uh, to the fact that Archer has arrived as well. But Keuchel's my choice. I think the value that he's given based on that draft day cost has, has really helped out some owners. So Keuchel for me.
0: Keikel for me too, Ryan, and I also considered Chris Archer. And of course, you have to look at Max Scherzer, who in fact is having a marginally better fantasy season than either of them, but anyone who has Max Scherzer paid every penny for his performance so far. I wish I'd had the courage at Tout Wars to bid on Dallas Keuchel, but I fell for the, quote, conventional wisdom that said Keuchel had too many issues for his great 2014 season to have been a fact and not a fluke. The fastball under 90, the dominance rate under seven strikeouts per nine innings, too high of a strand rate considering all the factors, blah, blah, blah. I and everyone else should have zoomed in on a 64% overall ground ball rate and a a strikeout rate that combined to make everything work and look very repeatable. Koikel went for a buck in Tout Wars in 2015. He's not going to go for a buck in 2016. Dallas Coichel gets my vote as well. Todd Zola, who do you like? Well, after
4: his blow-up, I think it was Wednesday night against the Royals. I'm going to have a little bit harder time making my case for Chris Archer, but I'm not changing. Uh, the guy still has a 2.74 ERA, a 1.02 whip. He still has 147 strikeouts. Uh, maybe he gets another start before the break. I don't know how the, how the schedule flushes out. But he, he's my first half Cy Young Award winner. I, uh, I respect your opinion, uh, Patrick, about Keikel and how he deserves extra points for the value thing that I discussed before. But for me, I'll take the extra strikeouts that Archer gives over a guy like Dallas Keikel. And it wasn't like Archer was drafted with, with Max Scherzer and Chris Sale in and, and the Elite either. He was a mid-tier starter coming into the year. I think people thought he had a you know, had some potential. But it still wasn't, he still wasn't taken you know, as, a, as an SP1 or even SP2 as far as fantasy goes. I will say this about Keiko, though, is his strikeout rate has improved month by month. And it wouldn't shock me by the end of the season if Keiko narrows that gap. And, and maybe by the end of the year, I'll consider Keiko as worthy, if not more worthy than Archer for fantasy Cy Young. But through this point, through the first half of the season, uh, Chris Archer is my guy.
0: And you make a good point about Chris Archer's relative value. I think he went for $10 in War or something like that. So there's definitely a lot of value there as well as a lot of pure performance. Uh, so, so far, two votes for Dallas Keuchel, uh, one vote for Chris Archer. Greg Fishwick, which way are you going?
1: This one was really close between Grenke and Scherzer for me. And I admit I'm being a bit of a purist, looking more at performance without giving much consideration to value, which becomes paramount in our next category. I gave the edge to Scherzer here because he outdid Grenke in two of my three deciding metrics, base performance value and roto value. Grenke snagged the runs above replacement comparison, 33 to 26, but Scherzer topped Grenke in BPV 172 to 121, and in roto value, $32 to $30. Both have PQS dominant scores in 16 of their 17 starts, but those two consecutive near-perfect games for Scherzer put him over the top for me.
0: So we now have three names on the ballot for the fantasy Cy Young of the first half. Dallas Koikel still leads with two votes to Chris Archer and Max Scherzer with one. Let's turn now to Alex Becky. Alex, who's your pick?
3: Clayton Kershaw may not be an all-star yet, But how do you bet against a guy who has won the NL Cy Young in three of the past four years, especially when he currently sports a 285 ERA with 160 strikeouts and only 123 innings pitched? Those would be pretty good final numbers for most pitchers and we're only at the midpoint of the season. He had a 2.16 ERA in June, a .56 ERA so far in July, including that shutout against the Phillies last Wednesday, where he had 13 strikeouts. It's going to be a fun race to watch, though. Max Scherzer has looked nearly unhittable lately. However, Kershaw might have a big chip on his shoulder after the very public All-Star Game snub that he received. He's definitely got something to prove this year.
0: He's leading the majors in strikeouts after that 13-strikeout performance on Wednesday. But he's not top 10 in ERA or WHIP, just outside it in WHIP, I think. So uh, Clayton Kershaw certainly, I don't know about meriting a Cy Young pick for the first half, but he's certainly somebody to watch for the second half and for the overall season always. Now let's move on to the 2015 first half player who delivered the most value, the most bang for the buck. And I'll start off with Kevin Pillar of the Toronto Blue Jays. I know it's hard to top Dallas Keuchel for value. A $31 ace starter for a buck is hard to top. And by the way, he's on track to toss 250 innings this year and allow less than 240 base runners, which is fantastic. But we have to say it was at least possible that Dallas Coyco could repeat what was a fine year in 2014. But I guarantee you nobody saw the Blue Jays' Kevin Pillar coming. He's got a $20 season going after he wally-pipped Canadian outfielder Michael Saunders, perhaps permanently. Pilar is headed for a 15-25 season with a mid-280s batting average, and he could score 90 runs. That's not bad for somebody I almost guarantee was not on anybody's roster at the start of this season. Todd Zola, who do you think is the value player of the first half?
4: PD, I love that pick of Pilar. but I think we need to keep in mind that not only did he take the spot that Michael Saunders was penciled in before he tripped over the, uh, the drain, but... He also had a lot to do with Dalton Pompeii being sent to the minors. And even if Saunders was there, I'm pretty sure that at this point, Pilar would have, uh, taken usurp center field from Pompeii. And, uh, which is, you know, a good thing. I think Pompeii still has a good future, but Pilar is definitely more than a placeholder. Uh, the glove is, is just, is, is ridiculous as well. All right. Anyway, my choice is, uh, DJ LeMayhew. I'm going to inject a little bit of positional. Uh, consideration into my choice, not so much you know scarcity, some uh, you know valuation with scarcity like we talk about, but I, I think that he was a pleasant surprise, or he is a pleasant surprise, uh, in in a position second base slash middle infield, which is just ridiculously hard to fill in a in a mixed league even at this point. If we're taking a look at waiver wires players that are available, and it's no longer an empty batting average sort of thing from LeMayhew. He's he's going to hit. He'll he'll be going into the break probably hitting 300. He's going to have double-digit steals. He's got a handful of homers. He's scoring runs because he's in the two-hole. He's even knocking in a few, uh, which is, I think is a little bit more surprising as well. But uh, he's he's giving more much more production than we thought he would. A lot of it has to do with moving to the two-hole. Now, granted, his batting average and balls in play, his hit rate is a little high, but it's supported by. A good line drive rate and it's supported by a very very good hard hit contact rate now Patrick you've done some research that shows if you break it into soft medium and hard contact that soft contact actually uh, has a higher hit rate than medium contact I found sort of in follow-up that it depends upon your source of data and a source of data that I have access to uh, it's actually soft has a lower batting average in balls and balls in play hit rate than medium and LeMayhu has a ridiculously low nine percent soft contact rate. That's just that's just goofy. So I think that's helping to support the higher Babip and I think we're gonna to continue to see three hundred, and as long as the Rockies leave him in the two hole, he's gonna be scoring some runs and uh he is my choice for the, you know, surprise of the value play of the year.
0: I'm getting a strong hunch we might have five different votes in this category. Uh, we so far have Kevin Pilar and DJ LeMahieu, Ryan Bloomfield.
2: Who's your pick for the value player of the first half? All right, I'm going to go in a in a new direction here with a third name uh, to throw into the ring. This is a former, you know, elite prospect that was once traded for Miguel Cabrera, if you remember that trade, uh, back in the day between Detroit and Florida. And that's Cameron Maben. Um, Maben was a 40th round ADP in those deep NFBC leagues, basically undrafted in, in basically all formats, um, and was part of that big opening day eve trade uh, that sent him from San Diego over to Atlanta. Um, as part of that Craig Kimbrell deal. Uh, Maven's been a near $30 player at the break. Uh, Just incredible value um, given his his lack of draft position he's he's cooked up a, a recipe for success this year he's drawing more walks than ever before hitting more line drives than he has in the past he's also running a lot speeds his his best skill and he's using that on the base paths you know a, a new team a new hitting coach etc might be behind that new approach it certainly hasn't hurt and and again that that prospect pedigree that i mentioned earlier says we you know we can't dismiss this completely as a fluke Maben's just 28 years old uh, but we also can't dismiss Maven's injury history he's basically been hurt every year that he's been in the major leagues and, and I don't think the power is for real he's got around eight home runs so far this season but he really doesn't hit any fly balls you know less than a quarter of his his balls in play end up in the air um, his home run per fly ball rate has really spiked this year and I don't think that's going to hold up but I, as long as he keeps hitting those line drives and drawing more walks, I do think that on-base percentage can hold and he's going to run. So as long as Maben's healthy, I can, I, I can see him keeping this up, at least from a, from a rate stat and a stolen base standpoint. I don't think that power is going to hold. Uh, but to go from basically nothing to a, to a $30 player in the first half, um, he's definitely my choice for the most you know valuable player in, in the first half of 2015.
0: Is it just me, or have we all been waiting for Cameron Mabin since the 1990s, it seems, to come through with a year like this? And I guess, as you say, uh, Ryan, the the challenge here is going to be, can he keep it up and not get hurt in the second half? Uh, Greg Fishwick, who's your value player for the first half?
1: Okay, so now we come to the category where even I have to put return on investment as the top priority. And kudos to Kendris Morales for his bounce-back season. But he'd done it before, and he had a starting gig at the beginning of the year, so his average draft position was 319. Justin Turner's average draft position was 538. That's undrafted in 15 team leagues with 12-man benches. So he started the season as free agent fodder and is now starting at third base for the Dodgers. And he's earning $20 in roto value. Even though he has a 34% hit rate, his expected batting average of 317 is actually higher than his batting average of 314. He has one less home run and 66 fewer at bats than Chris Bryant. Where did he come from? Well, not exactly out of nowhere. The Baseball HQ forecaster said line drive and hard contact history looks strong, and expected power index is supportive of the power surge. So if you picked up Justin Turner, congratulations.
0: Congratulations, indeed, to anybody who picked up any of these value players. Uh, Alex, Becky, bring us home. Who's your value player for the first half?
3: Jason Kipnis was only projected to earn $8 in the first half of 2015, according to this year's baseball forecaster, but instead, he's earned $34 through his first 81 games. Not only is he already almost equaled last year's total production in runs, home runs, and RBI, but his .340 batting average ranks in the top five in Major League Baseball. What impresses me most about his value is that he's done all of this without adequate protection in the lineup and at a ballpark not necessarily known as a hitter's park. Sure, there may be regression, but positional scarcity could make him more valuable than other players.
0: Jason Kipnis might be one of the most interesting players of the first half because there's so much disagreement among experts about whether what Jason Kipnis is doing is sustainable or not. He's got a very high batting average on balls and play hit rate, almost 40%, which is kind of Rod Carew or Manny Ramirez territory, and he's certainly not a player like that, but he's drawing a lot of walks. He's doing a lot of things right, and he's in a good position in the lineup. Jason Kipnis, a very intriguing player for the second half, and I'm curious to see how it works out at the end and whether or not it's going to work out to be a good idea to grab Jason Kipnis now via trade if he's available in your league or whether you're setting yourself up for a fall. Real interesting situation. Our final award is the big award of the uh, session, uh, the most outstanding player of the first half. And to kick us off, it's going to be Todd Zola. Todd, who's your MOP for the first half?
4: Before I reveal my answer, I want to make sure everybody's sitting down. All right, sitting down. All right, here we go. Ready? Paul Goldschmidt. He's this little-known first baseman for Arizona. Uh, you may not have heard of him, but just you know, take a look at the numbers. The guy's gonna be hitting 350, uh, in that neighborhood at the, going into the break. He's gonna have at least 20 homers. He's on a pace for 120, 130 runs, 120, 130 RBIs. And the thing with this, with this Paul Goldschmidt character is those of us in the know may expect 15 or so still in bases over the course of the season. Well, the guy's got 16 of them already. Already! So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to kick back, and if one of my colleagues has got someone they feel is more deserved than Paul Goldschmidt, well, I'm really, really anxious to hear their argument. I'm not saying they can't convince me, but it's going to be tough. So, uh, let's go, boys.
0: See what you can do. All right. The gauntlet is thrown down, so Ryan Bloomfield, you can pick it up. Who's your most outstanding player of the first half?
2: Okay, I'm gonna agree with Todd here. I think I have to. I, I, I definitely think Goldschmidt's been the most outstanding player in the first half, uh, you know, if we're not playing the value card. Um, Goldschmidt has, you know, far and away earned the most value in the first half. Huge power, um, hits the ball amazingly hard, makes up for a, you know, somewhat average uh, contact rate. Uh, really, he's, he's even on pace for 30 steals, which is a really underrated Part of Goldschmidt's game. Um, he's just on an incredible run right now, and, and if we think about it, if if it wasn't for one pitch early last July that hit Goldschmidt on the hand and basically knocked him out for the season, uh, we might be looking at a third straight forty dollar season from Goldschmidt. Um, that's you know that's Trout, Miguel Cabrera territory. The last few seasons with with really a, f- a fraction of the publicity out in Arizona. Um so if Goldschmidt keeps this up, I, I think he should be the National League MVP. Um and to the early argument for number one pick in twenty sixteen. Uh I think it's Goldschmidt for me. Um you know, again the consistency, the elite skills that he's put up and the all around production, remember those uh those steals that he puts up kind of seals the deal for me. Um that's an argument for later in the season or, or this off season this winter, but for the first half, most outstanding player has to be Paul Goldschmidt. Two votes for Paul Goldschmidt now. We move
0: along to Greg Fishwick. Greg, are you going to make it three for three? How'd you choose? It comes down to Goldschmidt
1: and Harper for me. And I went with Goldie because of his slight edges in some categories and the big edge in stolen bases, 16 to 4. Harper gets the BPV nod, 158 to 116, and he's only 22 years old. It's almost not fair to compare him to Goldschmidt. But Goldschmidt has earned $10 more in rotor value, $52
0: to 42 dollars And I guess that's the bottom line, isn't it? It is for a lot of people, and rightfully so. So we come to Alex Becky. Alex, do you like uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Bryce Harper,
3: somebody else? Although Bryce Harper's power has officially arrived, and Mike Trout is playing like, well, Mike Trout with 24 home runs and 9 steals through 84 games, Paul Goldschmidt's 16 steals have been a pleasant surprise. Not to mention his .349 batting average and 20 home runs. Wow. I'm not sure you could ask for more production out of one player. Somehow he feels undervalued at $51. Is that possible? It
0: is possible, and I'll explain why in a second that I think Paul Goldschmidt might actually be the best value player as well as the most outstanding player. I want to give some props to Bryce Harper having a great year and to Max Scherzer, who's been outstanding on the mound. But Scherzer is a starting pitcher. He can only deliver four categories until he starts closing games, and why not, by the way. He's going to have to take a seat behind any offensive guy who's providing value across all five categories. And this year, nobody is doing that like Paul Goldschmidt. In Tout Wars, Goldie went to me for $44. And ha, to everybody who said, I made a mistake. $4 less than Trout, and Goldie has produced $13 more value. He's second in batting average to Miguel Cabrera. He's second in on-base percentage to Bryce Harper at .466. That's Ted Williams' country. He's tied for first in RBI, he's fifth in runs scored, and as other people have mentioned, he has 16 stolen bases, which is good for 10th in that category, and believe me when I say nobody ahead of him in the category has anywhere near the other offensive stats. If you add up how much profit Paul Goldschmidt has made on top of how much production he has, I think he is the most valuable player in the league as well as the most outstanding. And to address the issue that Rick got raised earlier, I think Paul Goldschmidt will be the consensus top pick in 2016, assuming he doesn't get hurt between now and the end of the year. So it's unanimous for Paul Goldschmidt, our most outstanding player, and with that we come to the end of the 2015 Baseball HQ Radio Midway Roundtable. Guys, I want to thank each of you for taking time out of your busy schedules to give us your opinions, thoughts, and insights. It's been great. Todd Zola, thanks a million.
4: As always, Patrick, it was a pleasure to take part in the, uh, in this roundtable. Because I hope those that download and listen to it enjoy hearing it as much as I enjoyed participating. And, uh, have a great week and we'll talk to you same time, same channel during our segment next week. How's that?
0: Sounds like a plan. Todd Zola writes for baseballhq.com, espn.com, fantasy alarm, masters ball. And as I say every week, wherever Todd Zola's writing, you ought to be reading. Alex Becky, thanks a million.
3: Thanks, PD. It is fun to be here. Great talking with all of you. I look forward to seeing all of you at First Pitch Arizona this fall.
0: Hey, that's a great point, Alex. So make sure you do get out to First Pitch Arizona, meet and talk with Alex and Todd, and I think all our roundtable experts will be out in Phoenix this fall. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and our frequent flyers commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio. Ryan Bloomfield, thanks for joining us again. I think this was your third kick at the can.
2: Yeah, thanks, PD. I think this is my third year on the, on the round table and always happy to contribute. Always a good time. Ryan Bloomfield is an
0: analyst at BaseballHQ.com, and he also has our playing time commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio. And last but not least, Greg Fishwick, thanks so much for taking part. It was great to have you.
1: Hey, it's been a blast, and I hope to see all of you, and that includes our listeners, at First Pitch Arizona, November 5 through 8.
0: Not only is Paul Goldschmidt a unanimous choice, but so is first pitch Arizona. Greg Fishwick is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com, and he has a pitcher matchups for the weekend on Friday at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 10th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 41 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I do hope you enjoyed this special roundtable edition of Baseball HQ Radio. I also want to thank our guest experts from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business, frequent Flyers commentator Alex Becky, playing time commentator Ryan Bloomfield, and pitcher matchups analyst Greg Fishwick. Of course, I also want to thank our usual Friday Talk with Todd commentator, the one and only Todd Zola. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And let us know what you think by email. Send us your thoughts about the show, our awards picks, and fantasy baseball in general to B H Q Radio, all one word, at gmail.com. You'll also be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Finally, do the show a favor and tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio. And you can take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in four days when our Tuesday Tout Expert guest will be Jeff Erickson from rodowire.com and SiriusXM Fantasy Sports. That's the next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.